If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app for iPhone and Android available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming RFB events. You can sign up at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash newsletter. You're listening to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Time to get embarrassed with us. You can't relax, paying tax keeps you busted. Falling behind, going full speed ahead. You break your back and some whack go you trusted. to you. This is indeed Lost and Rewound right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Only here on Radio Free Brooklyn. And you have once again made it another week. Yay! My name is Alon Danziger. I'll be your host this hour as I uh, am, in fact, each and every Thursday right here from the rec room in beautiful Bushwick. Lost and Rewound is a program wherein every week we strive to connect the dots between then and now and learn a little bit about how we got from there to here by listening back with the freshest of ears to the earliest of our own personal sounds. There's something truly special about those first reactions, those cold listens without any preparation. It makes for some rather pleasing results. Listen to our back catalog for a healthy dose of these results. Find us on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud or really anywhere you get your podcasts for that matter. But this, this is a show that starts out as a broadcast. And I would encourage you to visit our website where you could listen to us live when we're on. Or when we're not, you can simply scroll down below our info and feast your ears with the megaphone player, which has practically all of our episodes over the past four years available with a mere click of the button. As we did last week, the majority of this week's episode will be brought to you through the power of video conferencing means, as I will be joined by Will and Rachel, as always, alongside our guest for this week, a gentleman by the name of Tom Ashton, who used to front a band called Early Edison. Uh, he's currently working on projects both screen and song. Matter of fact, well, let's take a quick listen to Tom's current single, I Never Knew You. And to the interview, we will make our not-so-awkward
next guest is Tom Ashton. He is a New York City-based singer-songwriter, composer, and actor. He has worked on movies such as Dickie Roberts' Former Child Star and acted in films such as Such a Funny Life. And he's also been in shows such as God, Friend of Me, and The Blacklist. You may know his music best from his days as the frontman and founding member of rock quartet Early Edison, who made a splash on the scene. Whatever the scene is. I guess the scene, the rock scene in the late... 90s early aughts welcome tom hello thank you thank you for having me tom you look like you're in a closet are you getting I, enough oxygen i am actually yes i am actually yeah, i gotta open the door every once in a while but i converted yeah basically a walk-in closet into my home studio so soundproofed it everything you know it's uh, urban living and uh yeah i do all, all my recording here voiceover stuff uh yeah do what i gotta do here you know for our for our listeners tom is sitting in front of what is a wall of soundproofing and what looked like five truly gorgeous guitars this is the yes. setup of a of a true musician shall we say <laughs> i have a question about your um recording setup yes so so when you're let's say you're playing anything really but with those guitars behind you do they ever pick up the vibrations and like do you hear them while you're recording not really actually because i usually i'm going in direct you know into my system and all that and so sometimes i'm using like you know oh uh, got you yeah i mean i i will mic mic an amp like if i want a certain sound like i have an amp right mm -hmm. behind me and it's like i'll, I'll mic that but you know it's so closely mic'd it doesn't really pick up on stuff like that and if it's loud enough it's not gonna really cut through either way i mean acoustics when i'm recording acoustic and vocals I don't know. Maybe it adds a certain uh, je ne sais quoi, you know, the uh, the sound. I don't know. I mean, I mean, there are certain things unique to every recording situation that just kind of happens. You always hear stories of where people record and the environment they're in affects it in some way. I mean, mm -hmm. um, where do you live now? I'm in uh, Queens. What side? I'm in Sunnyside. Hey, all right. Great neighbors! Oh my God, you guys are literally neighborhood neighbors. Woodside is a much uh, different vibe than uh, your buddy uh, Adam's uh, setup over in the Lower East Side. Adam Howard Schneider, who we had on the show a couple weeks ago. Yeah, uh, we're, we're, Lower... actually in a, we're actually in a songwriter circle together. We do a... That's a so cool. Circle. Yeah, pretty small world. Wait, so Wait, how, long, how long have you known Adam? Um, well, I met his wife, Christina. We did a short film as actors about six or seven years ago. And then we did a play together down at a theater for New City, you know, in the East uh, Village there. So we got to know each other there and met Adam through Christina, then uh, more Adam with music and all that stuff. So it's it's all very fluid, you know, back between acting and music for me. So, what came first? You know, it's funny. It's like my dad did a lot of community theater. And so my whole family did community theater. Um, I grew up on Eastern Long Island on the North Fork. And so like I did like, you know, Fiddler on the Roof at like five years old. No, 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 South Pacific it was at five. South Pacific at five years old. And, nice. Um, and even better. Your hair. Yeah. Right. <laughs> then I took a five year hiatus. And I figured, you know, when I was 10, I was ready to be the bagel boy in uh, Fiddler on the Roof. So uh, I had my one line, bagels, fresh bagels. And, uh, I'm still, I still got it. I still got it. Dude, you and, pulled uh, that off. I was riveted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So performance was part of it. But as I got older, like, you know, into high school and everything, just, you know, more um, huge Beatles fan, kinks, you know, I was, and I was, I was gravitated, like, who was a songwriter and, you know, who was actually writing the tunes and, and, and that. So I just jumped over to uh, doing the music. So that's what it was, writing. What shifted you from musical theater into specifically being a rock musician. I used to do a lot of summer theater musicals and when I was into college, I was always the home recorder guy, um, still am. Before I even had a four track, I was so hardcore into it. I would actually like to a dual cassette thing and like 
bounce it and bounce it and bounce. I was, I was actually reading stuff on like, you know, how the Beatles recorded. I mean, such a huge sound on like four track recordings and, you know, you're bouncing a track and all that. And I figured out ways to do that. And so I just got so consumed by that. Do you ever play the actual recorder? <laughs> I think it was only, only in school, maybe once. I don't know. Well, Lean yeah. When did, you, when did you pick up an instrument that wasn't a recorder for the first time? Uh, I think it was around like third, fourth grade guitar. Wow. I took, no, actually, no, I took some piano like in first, second grade, you know, one of those things. I took lessons a little bit here and there, but I, I just got bored by it. So I took some guitar like in fourth grade and I just kind of lost track of it. I was into playing baseball and things like that. And then sure. I was actually in a high school seminary. I was interested in the priesthood and music. Actually really? Went, yeah, actually, I went to a th- high school seminary over in, uh, in so Boise. And Yo, that's crazy. Boise. Yeah, yeah. While I was there, I remember this guy playing guitar and I was like, oh, I can play that. And so actually, like, you know, it's like, he's, you know, he's kind of making a big deal. He's playing some stuff. I'm like, oh, that's not that difficult. And so I started playing it and then. You know, so much of what you learn when you play music is just, uh, hey, how do you play that? How do you play that? You know, and I kind of learned in pre-YouTube days where it's like, you know, that's what it is. It's kind of like I didn't take any lessons. I just kind of like did it and you jam with people. And, you know, I formed my first band in high school and we were called... Well, Dirty Sheiks was the name of the band. Oh, that's awesome. Was, we, we, had the, we, we, we played in this area where there was all these sheets up, and we, and we call it Dirty Sheets, but our math teacher was like, Dirty Sheiks? Like, he was thinking like oil sheiks. We're like, oh, that sounds even better, Dirty Sheiks. But that, that didn't last too long. And then we went to Blitzkrieg because we were like, you know, nice. we were <laughs> rock, rocking out. Yeah, bring yeah. Blitzkrieg. <laughs> if you were learning how to play guitar from such a young age and you were being inspired by so much recorded music. Um, mm. How was it like going to your first uh, rock show and who did you go with? Actually, I saw the Stray Cats at, uh, where was it? Um, Jones Beach, Jones right. Beach. Brian Setzer, nice. yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I actually saw him twice. The first time was like, yeah, in the, in the 80s or playing Jones Beach and that was a great show. Actually, I saw them like, I want to say like 10 years later though at some small club. Holy crap, man. They were like, punk loud i mean they were like deafening i mean we're talking i mean them and the ramones i saw the ramones in their last tour in 96 oh my god the, yeah the two loudest shows i was ever at so the stray cats and the ramones were the loudest shows i ever was at and they were like great live i mean they were they were i liked them at jones beach but it was you know it's a big arena but seeing them at a club wow they were awesome live who did you go with were you was that with like a guardian or a parent or a friend I don't, you know, I'm trying to remember. It might have been my, my older sister. I think, I think, I think, I think my, sister, my sister Peggy and I went. Were there any seminal experiences at this concert? Were you drinking? Seminal or seminary? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. Wait, no. So, uh, did you find Jesus at this concert? Yeah. <laughs> at a Ramones concert, maybe. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, that's a spiritual experience, yeah. I love the, the Philly stations that I was listening to. And then later I went to college. I listened to, I was up uh, to Niagara University up in Niagara Falls. So a lot of the Toronto stations had a lot of great stuff. Awesome. I mean, I mean, in Long Island, you got WLAR. LAR was a great station. You're listening to music on the radio. You're playing music. Inherently, probably at some point, I imagine, with uh, Blitzkrieg or whatever <laughs> band you were at. Yes. Uh, did, you, did, you, did you guys cut a demo? Did you uh, submit to radio stations? Uh, no, play well, shows? The, the first, actually, no. Um, I mean, I wrote songs, but I mean, we just the worst, the worst recording back then. I didn't get into, like, home recording and until, like, college. 
and I was, wasn't really in a band then. So then what I did was like towards the end of college, I think it was, I'm trying to pinpoint what it was. I actually went to a studio I found over in East Hampton. I had this song called This Is A Pop Song. I love Ray Davies, uh, Tongue and Cheek, uh, that, that kind of like, I'm a total Anglophile with, with music. So I went over there and, you know, he had like, you know, a, the boss, I think it was a DR330 uh, drum machine. I was like, oh yeah, let's do that. And it, it sounds so, it's funny digging this up. I'm like, oh wow. But we recorded it and I was into it and, you know, it's there for posterity. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it's got some elements there to the song that I think are, are good. But I submitted it to some, like, I got, it got played at a Buffalo station one of those uh, like Sunday night, 11 o'clock, locals only kind of a uh, show. So I submitted to that. And um, yeah, that was, that was, that was the first uh, demo I cut. Um, this is a pop song. Yeah, I mean, you brought it up. We might as well listen to it. That's really exciting <laughs> uh, too, that you gave us such a, a kind lead in. Um, we'll listen to this is a pop song, come back and we'll have our thoughts. One, two, one, two, three, four, five, go. This is a pop song that does not make any sense Don't be between the lines of words you need upset when you see that All I have done is get some chords and plugs and drums Send some words and bags and drums And set it in slumber one more Give me a rolling stone Oh baby This is a pop song that you say for people Don't know who sang it but you
my god what <laughs> year was that oh shit <laughs> that was like 90 i want to say or something like that. Wait wow. a minute. How, how close to the how close that, to the ska era was this like oh yeah yeah, definitely, definitely Ska was happening. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Um, that, that and even the, the vocoder, oh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I, I don't know what me. You can tell I was on cassette, because when I transferred it, it was like wobbly. Like, it all of a sudden, yeah. Like, oh, my God. In there. That was not intentional. That's, a, that's like a, a cassette transfer to digital. Uh... Tom, I don't want it to be intentional. The mo- <laughs> that's, the, that's the best part, is that, like, you, it, <laughs> ah, I love that sound. There's just something really organic about it. The sound was a fabulous mistake, right? It has a wonderful feel. It has a wonderful bounce and swing to it. And that was fun, dude. That's a good song. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny to listen to it when I was, I was like, oh, wow. It's like, you know, back then I would I would just write it, you know, and be like, okay, that's what it is. Like, I wouldn't think about like, okay, it was like really low in my register. And I'm like, I'm a little too low for me. And I'm like, but I'm just doing it. And it's like, you know, you get, you get tunnel vision when you go, when you get, you know, with recordings and just, you know, getting in the studio. I was like, oh yeah. And, and then, then it gets into like, you know, budgetary things where you're going in, you're just banging out as quick as possible and mm-hmm. you don't have much time to remix it and whatever. And like, you know, eh, it is what it is. So there it, it is. It was flaming. That's what it was. <laughs> Thank you. It is okay. absolutely flaming. Flaming. Okay. It's very yeah. fetch. It's very fetch. Oh yeah. Oh, I'll start trying to make fetch happen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so, Tom, how did you uh, come about uh, meeting the guys from Early Edison? Uh, were you guys uh, connected through school, or was it after college? No, actually, uh, no, actually, it was just kind of like um, trying how how it came one by one. It's almost like ads and you know the music rags things like that and just word of mouth someone here and there it's just like hey someone you jam with and you know you, you go through the process of like because i was kind of a hybrid like i was in you know and i moved into queens and so there were guys from long island so it was a mixture of like city and long island guys and uh i mean you jam with so many people and just try to find the right fit where were you jamming actually this one um when we got together, we we would rent we rented a, a basement of a pizzeria in Elmont, <laughs> and uh, oh, that was nasty. That was nasty. We actually like put risers on. Like we actually built out this room and got you know some pallets. We built the floor on pallets, and uh, our old base used to, used to call it Mousewitch because there were so many like dead mice underneath it. You know, it's like Mousewitch, Mousewitch. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. It was it was it was so gross. It was so gross. An American <laughs> fail. Yeah. I have many thoughts right now. So, yeah. <laughs> Pro- process those thoughts, Rachel. Continue, Tom. Sorry. So we, yeah, we would we did stuff, and actually, um, we recorded some of our, some stuff there. We I had a um, uh, that time we kind of converted into ADATs, which was another recording. It was like an eight track recorder. They actually you could use video uh, video cassettes to record on, like basically that those tapes, video cassette tapes, and. Um, we would do A-track recordings on that. Anyway, this one song, Demographically Pleasing. I remember we demoed that initially in Elmont. And I want to say, actually, the final recording, we, we, got, we remixed it elsewhere, I think. But the basic tracks and everything we did in the basement of that pizzeria in Elmont. I wanted to uh, circle back with Rachel, who I think has now had uh, all the time needed to process thoughts about this. <laughs> well, 
first of all. So you were playing on top of a platform with dead mice underneath it? Is that what it was? <laughs> no, we were renting a basement and okay. uh, yeah, of a yeah. pizzeria. And you don't want your gear to get wet. So we're like, we, sure. we, the guy who owned the pizzeria said, hey, if you want to build a room to put your stuff in, we're like, sure. So we kind of actually built this room and we got pallets to put the, to raise it up because in case of flooding. Right, right. It. And so I was like, we would hear you know, mice and rats underneath it sometimes, you know, we, we figured they got, they were, got trapped there. And so, so, so the mice, <laughs> so the mice yeah. were, were sheltering in, like in these pallets is I what you're saying. Well, that's our guess. That's our guess. And, and you were playing music while standing or sitting on, on top of these <laughs> Sadly, pallets. I, that would be the case. Yes. And, and so, it's very, mean, it's very punk. It's very punk. That's metal as fuck. Like, yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> I mean, you do what you gotta do. I mean, you get a sound. We get, you know, we got a, we got a mixing board in there. We got our sound system in there, and we have to play after certain hours. We can only play because you know the pizzeria upstairs. Yeah, yeah. Did it. you, did you sample the sound of the mice running around? No, <laughs> no. Actually, we, we weren't that, that, that uh, <laughs> cruel. I don't know what the word would be. No, we didn't do that. Wait, but, do you, but you we were, we were. It's, it's funny, did but you know, see them. Um, oh yeah, sometimes we would. Yeah, sometimes it'd be like, oh, it's like you know, and you're just like, you, you know, it's almost like we'd run out of the room sometimes to get out of the, the basement because it was a, a closed room. It's like, oh shit, let me just get out of here. That definitely, you know, you now you think because we were definitely more like punk and a little harder than. And you, yeah, you, you think about the environment, how it affects you, like the songs you're writing, the songs you're doing. Yeah. You're in a place like that, and um, <laughs> in roaches in the band, everything. So yeah. <laughs> okay. any, any roaches in addition to the uh <laughs> the, the rodent plate maybe uh, <laughs> like, but, well, I know right. proper like cbgb style like classic les yeah. like dark dig based event. yeah we, we, we played we played cbs yeah we played there so. hey i love it what? Listener, you're going to hear demographically pleasing. Yeah. And if you can hopefully get the dead mice out of your head, enjoy this sampling of early Edison. I'm just a skinny white boy who comes from Long Island. I like sports, I like movies, I think malls are kind of groovy. And I dig that alternative rock. Cause I'm never resting I'm the king of product testing And now I've got it made in the shade Cause I'm demographically pleasing
like looking for some answers not so good, not so bad Being average, middle class But I dig that alternative rock Cause I'm never resting I'm the king of product testing And now I've got it made In the shade Cause I'm demographically That's like that was like when was that written again? Uh, I wrote that around two thousand, I'd say. Yeah. Oh, so oh wow. You, so you were like just post. That was that was like perfect. No wait, no that no that was a little bit before then. But whatever. It was someone that's so that's like that's like some new wave punk. And yeah, it's like, yeah, dude, you it, were it kind of like it it knew what it was lyrically speaking. If you had to define the word punk to a kid, like those lyrics basically sum it up. The attitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it definitely was a very self-aware. It, it, it's funny because actually, you know what? A couple months ago, I played that. I was playing a gig in Astoria, and, and um, a friend came down, and I was just like, you know, I, just, I was playing a solo, just me, me and guitar, and I kind of do the Bob Mould thing, Husker Du guy. Like, I'll, I'll play like oh, yeah. know, electric, just like solo electric loud, and I was like, I just banged that out, and I was like, I didn't play that in years, and I had a couple guys come up to me, these guys, and um. So one guy, he's like, dude, that, that, that Nirvana song. He's like, he's like, that really dug it. I'm like, like the Nirvana song. I'm like, oh, you mean like demographically pleasing? And I said, yeah. I said, yeah. He's like, I said, I was like, you know, that's a song kind of like, about, I'm kind of ripping on white privilege. And he's like, yeah, I totally get it. And like, it was really interesting. I'm like, oh, wow. It's like, he really, I just did it. I, I kind of played because I had a couple friends of the show who were just like, they wanted to hear that. And it was really interesting to see that the humor the whatever i was trying to accomplish kind of cut through the lyrics very clearly yeah it's very self-aware rachel said it right like you you know exactly you know how you sound and you're really like like that like those were the types of songs tom that like i you know i was in high school in the early aughts that was that those that was the stuff that i would listen to you know by choice you know what i mean like i would go i would go hunting that kind of thing down were you ever influenced by like new wave punk bands at the time? I mean, were, did you? Oh yeah, totally. Go hard of that, or yeah, just this past week. Um, you know, I'm still uh, really upset. Um, Adam Schlesinger passed away. You know, with um, Fountains of Wayne. I love those guys. They came out like '96, their first album, and that was something I totally connected to. It's funny, like coming from like I, I, I always thought of as kind of a power pop garage rock band, and you know those guys, the power pop crowd, which was different from punk power pop guys were kind of like you know they're in this very similar but i don't know power pop guys like they did their homework and studied for tests you know it's like you know yeah. as far as like the punk guys were like they were cool so there's a mission yeah. like like early was the rockers. yeah yeah but they, i mean the guy our band was definitely a mix of that were you uh getting really close with a lot of other bands to the point where you were like let's all like go on a tour together kind of thing yeah we actually well we actually formed 
with a few of the bands, this thing called PCP, uh, Pop Conspiracy Productions. And so what we do is we do, huh. we make nice. yeah, we, we did a lot of shows together. We would book places. Um, and it's funny because the Long Island um, media kind of got behind us, even though I was more, I was actually in Queens and the city and all that. And so it was like, okay, we're a Long Island band. We'll go with that. So like we did shows with other bands. Um, one was called Iridescence, This Island Earth. And then um, this band from Astoria called Pop Mafia, we got really good friends with. And they were great. They were more punk, but still had a power pop vibe. But yeah, we, we did a lot of shows together. Really, that was really instrumental in getting... Um, a foundation of people just a, a crowd just people getting into our stuff and doing shows together it was great it was definitely uh um a lot of work as with those things of promoting um but yeah it definitely and it's funny i keep on mentioning like fountains of wayne like i mean they were definitely one of those bands were like okay yeah this, this this kind of stuff does connect with people um we were definitely a little bit harder sounding than them a little bit in that direction but uh aesthetically um and lyrically very similar in that sense we got more with tom coming right up in a little bit our video conferencing session continues right after this this is lost and rewound on radio free brooklyn covid19 is disrupting everyone's lives right now and radio free brooklyn is no exception we want you to know that we have made every effort to ensure the health and well-being of our hosts, staff, and the community at large. We've closed both our studios and canceled live events, but our hosts are still doing their best to continue bringing new original programming by broadcasting live and pre-recording from their home studios or by selecting the best rebroadcasts of their past shows. With most of our revenue streams evaporated, we need your help. We realize you may be hurting too. But if you can afford a small donation, it would go a long way toward helping us stay on the air. There are three ways you can help. First, you can give a one-time or monthly donation by going to radiofreebrooklyn.org donate. There you'll find some great t-shirts, mugs, and other swag that we'd like to send you to say thanks. You could also use your phone to text RFBGIVE5, that's the number 5, to 44321. It only takes a moment, and you'll be able to use your digital wallet for your donation. Finally, if you shop on Amazon, you can go to Amazon.com smile and register Radio Free Brooklyn as the nonprofit you wish to support. When you do, a percentage of your sales will go to RFB, and it will cost you nothing. No donation is too big or too small. Whatever you can afford will make a huge difference. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts and wish all our listeners health and happiness as we weather this storm together. That's the way that the world goes round me up one day. The next to down, it's a happening to water and you think you're gonna drown. That's the way that the world goes round. That's the way that the world goes round. That's the way that the world goes We are back from our homes, from the comfort of our homes, because it's very comfortable here in our seats. I've got Will Hasty, Rachel Teichman, and our special guest for this week, Tom Ashton. We are uh, listening to songs from the past and uh, getting a chance to enjoy the music of early Edison and even earlier than early Edison. We're about to hear a song called Alice. Um, from what I understand, this is a song that actually helped catapult early Edison. First of all, that's a like 
who came up with the name of the band actually i should ask um actually it was like a very short-term drummer at the very beginning of our incarnation um he said he had a dream and it was kind of like uh okay it's it's like so kind of stuck and like you just do it and it's like people remembered it so uh we just kind of went with it and it kind of you know wasn't very it's not a very good story unfortunately we got you guys signed to what record label it was uh, we signed with sony and it was it was definitely one of those songs that it made the rounds with a lot of labels uh we did it wlar got they would they would play it they got behind it which was really great a lot of their local shows were playing it we did our own album a self-titled album we recorded this place called studio g which is still around in williamsburg and we worked with these guys tony mamoni and joel hamilton really talented guys and so we did their our first album and when we got a mastered uh, we got a master at Sterling Sound and the guy there just hooked us up with the Ed Brooks and Ed became our manager. And so we started, it was, you know, a crazy world. And um, it was a whirlwind of just like, all of a sudden we got labels in the picture and they always were like the song Alice. That's the one they really connected with. And so, yeah, so it's, a, it's basically, it's a barfly song where I use the metaphor of Alice in Wonderland and, you know, the, the, you know, the girl who's you see in a bar who's like kind of like, you know, just out of it and just uh, kind of wrapped up, you know, in her own world and just kind of oblivious to uh, what's, uh, yeah, well, you can listen to it. It's, it's relatable. <laughs> Alice is looking through her empty glass And suddenly the bottles seem to look so bad and put away Peter's polishing off his poison A sleepy grin he gives her is kinda pointless
she played the bitter role she plays She's found a guy who holds the mirror to her was flaming tom yeah i loved it i love that i am a bad friend and tom you are an amazing musician (laughs) (laughs) what do those two have anything to do with another i mean they're both true but how do they have anything to do with another obviously they're both true though but i'm just saying that like that like tom you know we've been we've been i don't know we've known each other for maybe a year now right like a year and a half and i had no i like i've only known you as a as a a very talented actor i had no idea that you were this biblically good. I'm a huge like Tom Petty fan, and he, he they had a great expression um, that was uh, "Don't bore us, get to the chorus." As a songwriter, and I thought it was so important. You, you got to really like. I mean, there's a traditionalism to the songwriting that I always have, where it's like you know, it's, it's you got to hang your hat on a really good chorus, and so that's something I've always been obsessed with. You know, I was saying actually that songwriters group with Adam who was on the show previously. Uh, you know, I worship at the altar of the big chorus. That's my religion. So thank you though, I appreciate it. But yeah, it's definitely, um, it's funny cause like the years with early Edison kind of, it got complicated as it does. And the deal with Sony didn't work out. Uh, we got dropped pretty quickly. We learned there is politics to getting signed. They're the gatekeepers to getting signed. And then once you get in the door, you realize, there's other gatekeepers within the company and realize, oh, there's another layer of politics there. And, you know, the guy who signed us, we realized didn't have a lot of internal power with promotion and marketing. And it was kind of like, oh, okay, this isn't going anywhere. So, uh, you know, we're back out in the wild of going after things. But fortunately with Ed, we really got into like getting into soundtracks and he was really pushing things with, you know, with his film connections and, I was out in LA with uh, Ed. I had written some music for a film called Dickie Roberts, former child star. And so I went to the premiere and we were like, let's set up some meetings with music supervisors. The premiere of Dickie Roberts was, was a, was a story in itself, but I'm going to get into that. But that was like a, that was interesting. But so we're at the meeting and we went to this one meeting with uh, Miramax at the time and uh, right place, right time. We had, we had some new songs. We were, we had demoed and we were shopping around and the president of music for Miramax, this guy, Randy Spendlove, comes in. He's like, oh, my God, like, who is this guy? Who is this band? And I'm like, and we're like, oh, it's us. And he said they were finishing a film called The Duplex. Uh, it was being directed by Danny DeVito. And it was starred Ben Stiller and Drew Barrymore. And they were basically in a bind because they were like, this was like on a Thursday or whatever. And they were cutting it to print, I guess, on Tuesday. And what happened was... 
they were going to use the song Burning Down the House for the closing credits, but Warner Brothers wanted like half a million dollars. And the, uh, the man uh, who, who shall not be named, uh, Harvey Weinstein, was yeah. not going to pay the money. They wanted you know, half a million dollars. And so they were online trying to find a band that did a cover of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood to close it. Because it was about neighbors. And so he said, can you record this? Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, is your band here? And I'm like, no, they're back in New York. And he's like, okay, let's work something out. Let, let, let's you know, fly you back to New York, get in the studio, record it like this weekend. So I call up this producer we were working with at the time, this guy, Pat Dillett, because he had done all the Malcolm in the Middle stuff with They Might Be Giants. So I knew Pat knew all that stuff. So I call up Pat. I'm like, Pat, this is crazy. I said, you know, uh, we just got a little bit of a budget to like record Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but it's got to be done this weekend. And I start explaining what's going on. He's like, okay, hang on a second. He's like, I'm in the studio right now with David Byrne. I'm like, what? I'm like, what? He's like, I'm like, they're cutting his song, Burning Down the House. It's like for us. He's like, I'll get you in. Or when are you coming back? I said, well, I'm going to fly back tomorrow. So he worked it out. We got in there. We were in the, in the studio for like 20 hours straight because it was, I was on the plane just listening to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and trying to figure out how to rearrange it for us to do it. They wanted a rock version. And so we kind of did it, came with a hybrid. We actually ended up tracking, I want to say like two or three versions we finish it off finally, we send it. And then that Sunday, so it was like Saturday, Sunday, we started getting phone calls. My manager like, okay, Drew Barrymore loved it. Ben Stiller loved it. Randy Spendlove loved it. And then Harvey Weinstein liked it. So we're like, okay, great. This is great. This is great. And they said, okay, just be on hold for Monday. We might want you to re-record the intro with acoustic guitar. It's like, okay, whatever. So I'm like, great, great, great. And we're thinking like, okay, they were going to pay $500,000 originally to use burning down the house. Oh. So we're like, what do we ask for at this point? We're like, we're good to go. And I'm like, I just want a van. I want a van for the band. I'm like, can we get a van out of this? So we're like, let's ask for like, you know, whatever, 20 grand or something like that, whatever. That's all so, you wanted was a van? Think it very modestly. We're, 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 I we're, wish you get one wish, Ben. What <laughs> would you like? We just want the gas money, man. Yeah, exactly. maybe, a, maybe a pallet of fajitas. Anything else I don't need anymore. <laughs> so, <wait> you say. <laughs> so we're, we're waiting for the word. And I'm like on that Monday and I'm like, is, you know, they want me to go back in the studio to record it. And then no phone call, no phone call, no phone call. I'm like, oh, what's going on? Something's going to go bad. Sure enough, Monday night, they're kind of to print the next morning. Ed calls up and Ed's like, Danny DeVito vetoed it. I'm like, no, we were going to be closing credits and everything. It was going to be a big promo. And I'm like, what happened? And supposedly, and you know, in retrospect, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. He did not like Harvey Weinstein. And it was like, you know, because the idea came from Miramax, he was like, I don't want anything to do with it. So they just, they ended up taking score music and um, just rearranging it into the closing credits. It ended up being a really good track, and um, you know, I, was, yeah. I really liked it. We're about to take a listen, so let's uh, hear the end result of what yeah. is a very epic uh, uh, story. A very, our nearest, you know, would have been, uh, well, yeah, probably would have been good for us, you know. <laughs> It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood A beautiful day for a neighbor Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood A neighborly day for a beauty Would you be mine? Could you be mine? 
to congratulate you on doing your best Paul Westerberg in a piano bar oh, impression. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, thank you. I'm but then, yeah, but then like it just spiraled into like something even fucking cooler than that. So props, <laughs> props homie. That was good. That was good. Uh, thank you. So um, I, first of all, I loved it. Second of all, it reminds me significantly of Joan Jett's cover of Love is All Around. Oh yeah, Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I wonder. I wonder if that's in that time frame or, or the guy who played piano. That this guy uh, Thomas Bartlett. He was he's great. I mean, to see just wing that and just like like oh my gosh, amazingly talented guy. And then I saw just recently he's been working with Florence and the Machine. He had somehow got hooked wow. up with yeah. He got hooked up with David Byrne through pat dillett in that time frame and he's gone on to it do all a ton comes of stuff. full yeah. circle it all comes yeah. full. how about that yeah that guy's talented you, you have new songs that yeah, uh, yeah you know on. it's it's funny coming out of early edison like you know it was i hit a point where it's funny the transition with acting and music i definitely felt the weight of the business stuff getting a little too heavy and the internal, you know, it's just kind of keeping a band going. You're pushing the boulder up the hill. And as the, you know, frontman singer songwriter, I really felt the responsibility to stay on that. And I just hit a point where I was 
doing more acting and I needed a break from it. Um, I still would do, I've done like film scores. I've done some music for, I did a film actually, I think it was 2013 called Saturnalia. And that was, I played an act. I was, my role was a musician and it was great experience. I wrote songs for my character and that kind of got the bug going again. It's been kind of incremental. And uh, so I found as I was doing more acting, the desire to work on my own material was coming back. Cause I think as an actor, you're, ser you're serving the material of the writer and right. someone, someone else's vision. So yeah, I've gone in that direction and I just really was getting on it again with uh, recording and writing and trying to find a platform to bring it out. And so, yeah, so that's where I'm at right now. The first track you played, I never knew you it's coming out on the 13th. I think the fact that you have more creative control as you know, you've progressed over the years uh, really shows very well in that song. Oh, thanks. I mean, yeah, like I said, I'm I'm a power pop guy. Um, by power pop, I mean like you know, Cheap Trick, Raspberries, uh, Replacements are kind of crossover into that. I mean, even bands like you know, Jimmy Eat World, um, Weezer. You know, it's like I mean, those are ones to me are like they're they're power pop, and it's like melody is you know I love it, man. <laughs> I'm a sucker for a good melody. So the maturity between the earlier songs that you played and the one that we heard at the top of the show is unequivocal right like you can like you can feel they feel more complex you know what i mean or they feel like they have a little bit more depth it's not you know it, it's 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 a significant it, it's it's funny but i mean I, what i've been studying acting wise and where i've grown as an actor it's definitely informed my writing in terms of getting you know more some things are more personal i mean i've always written more personal and i think even with story songs like you know i had earlier with alice and all that you know it comes through again i quote tom petty but he's he's a he's a guy who's a lot of character songs like my song alice is very much a character song and even though you're writing it as a short story i mean i'm a huge like flannery o'connor fan and eudora welty i love all those southern gothic writers it's kind of like with songwriting we assume a lot of times when you're using the first person you know i whatever you know like it, it, it's, it's a very personal song but you Things are very personal when you're using other characters in the story. And so, but at the same time, I don't know, I guess it's, uh, I don't know, the proof's in the pudding. My acting's informing my writing as a musician and it's, yeah. you know, everything's kind of like cross-pollinates. So. Well, I imagine you have a lot more time to work on music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, yeah, sort of. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't want to but say I relish it. At the very least, uh, you've been staying uh, just as busy on the acting thing, uh, yes. and you actually have you have an appearance coming up uh, on the yeah. blacklist. Yeah, actually, um, it's just it's a uh, it's you know. How long did you, ago did you film it though? We shot that in February. It's uh, okay. an episode I play um, quick co-star. It's coming on supposedly the the seventeenth. The Friday You're a super 17th. assassin who kills Red Reddington. <laughs> I'm an ang actually I'm an angry gun patron in West Virginia. So you know. No way. Typecasting, you know. <laughs> it's incremental. I'm, I'm you know auditioning for things. I did God Friend of Me last year, which was a, um, yeah. a great experience as well. So yeah, I'm just you know doing doing the grind, getting out there, auditioning. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I did a, a play actually, um, uh, Everything Dark in This World is, we're developed, hopefully that's gonna be moving ahead steps. Uh, um, Can you talk about any of that on terms of timeline or in terms of? I don't know, we, we did a staging of that in uh, Emerging Artist uh, Festival last fall. 
and now there's rewrites and things like that. So uh, hopefully it's moving ahead. We do have a second single we're going to be listening to on the way out. And you want to tell a little bit about uh, how this song came to be? Basically, it's a very personal kind of spiritual song. And trying to find... Going back to the seminary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're going full circle on this. Excellent. Amazing. And, well, it's just trying to find the divinity in all of us. That's kind of what I was going with this. You know, Sidewalk Saints is the name of the song and how it's finding that divinity, that, that uh, purity in everyone around us. And uh, that's kind of where I was going with it and, and how we find that through our own failures. That's cool. the essence of it. If you're interested in learning more about uh, Tom and what he's got going, you can check out his Bandcamp, which actually links right to your uh, Wade website. Is that correct? Uh, TomAshton.com? Yep, that's where it is right now. And um, yeah, come check me out. Uh, Facebook page, Instagram, all that social stuff. And uh, and like I said, that I Never Knew You will be my first single on Spotify, Apple Music, all the- all It's coming out the stuff. 13th, right? 13th, yes. Yeah. Okay. Look out for that. Tom Ashton has been our guest this week on Lost and Rewound. Uh, this is flown by. This hour is absolutely flown by. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's been great flaming. talking. Flaming. I like that. I'm going to start appropriating that. <laughs> Please go for it. Tom, thank you for contributing your time this week on Lost and Rewound. Thank you. It was great talking to you guys. And Rachel, thank you very much for using my headshots as your background during this interview. <laughs> I also used Will's. Will, thank you very much for... Uh, contributing your time on this session today as well as always and we'll be back in a little bit to wrap up us this hour email us if you have any interest in being a guest or even if you just have some nice things to say or not so nice things <laughs> constructive criticism has and always will be welcome uh lost and rewound at radio free brooklyn dot org org <laughs> um hey are you local to bushwick and looking for a new food spot to try because you ran out of groceries too hey i got a good suggestion for you Dashi! At Radio Free Brooklyn, you know, we are always welcoming new neighbors, and Dashi is a new American restaurant and cafe that specializes in Japanese and Asian comfort foods. It's just opened over at 119 Ingram Street, so just a few blocks away from the Morgan L. Stop. They've got great dishes. They've got the noodles. They've got the rice dishes. They've got small plates and salads. And if you want a hamburger or BLT, they've got that too. They're open every day, most days from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. You could order online from Grubhub, Postmates, or DoorDash. But if you want more information, I suggest going to their website, dashibrooklyn.com. That's D-A-S-H-I brooklyn.com. Or stop by Dashi in person and welcome them to the hood. Tell them RFB sent you.
in the meantime, stay healthy, stay safe, check in with one another, and lovely days will be here again someday. This has been Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Alon. Be righteous to one another. Bye-bye. And what I found is mostly worth it all. was basically just becoming what's his name on well, who was the drummer on the Muppets <laughs> that is literally Elon mimicking exactly what he was just doing through the rock version of Mr. Rogers <laughs> Mr. Rogers